that we can take the entire day to celebrate. So, of course, when we began talking in January about what day to have our first big preview service, we said, why not July 10? Nothing going on that day, and that just happens to be our anniversary. And it's interesting, Daniel and I met when we were in college at Liberty University, and we didn't meet on a blind date. And we didn't get set up by a mutual friend, and we didn't know each other from anywhere or anyone. I I grew up in Ohio. She, at the time, lived in Kansas and was going to high school at Blue Valley North. Um, And uh, I was a sophomore in college. And in a totally unexpected encounter, the only time in four years in the weight room at, at Liberty University, I went there where I played football. Almost every day for four years, the football team would work out. And only one day in four years did anyone bring in a girl to introduce her to me and on that day, it was Danielle, March of 1998, the chancellor of the university, his name was Jerry Falwell, came in and uh, he brought Danielle in. She and a friend were taking a tour, thinking about coming to Liberty. He brought me up. We met. Uh, we re-met in September. We're engaged in December and married July 10, 1999. A totally unexpected encounter that, that has changed our life forever. And I want to talk to you today about having an unexpected encounter with Jesus and what happens when... When you encounter Jesus, you're not, you're not trying to, you're not hoping to, you don't expect to, but you have an encounter with Jesus that changes your life. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 4. And our ushers, so if you want to follow along today, our ushers are coming down the sides of the aisle. They've got extra Bibles. If you need one or you want one, just put your hand up. It will also be on the screen behind me. But get your sermon notes out. And I want to talk to you today about maybe the greatest unplanned visit that Jesus had in all the Bible. The greatest unexpected visitation that Jesus had. And it's in John chapter 4. And the reason I love the book of John, the book of John is very interesting in that if, if you read the Gospels, and for those of you who may be brand new to church, the Bible, you'll, you'll hear people talk about two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament's really all about Israel, the nation of Israel. The New Testament's really all about Jesus. And four guys wrote a book about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And three of those guys wrote a lot of factual information about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And maybe you don't go to a lot of funerals, but as a pastor, I do. I I perform a lot of funerals. I'm at a lot of funerals. And when you're at a funeral, there's always two parts of the funeral. There's the obituary, where somebody gives you facts about the person who's passed away. And then there's the eulogy, where someone will get up and they'll tell stories about the person. And they'll talk about what they were like when they were a kid or what they were like in high school or what they were like in college or what what kind of dad they were or what kind of mom they were. And the book of John, more than any other of the stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the book of John is more like a eulogy. It was written long after Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written. Everyone kind of knew all about the facts of Jesus, when he was born, where he lived, when he died. But John wrote a book that literally is just stories. It's just stories about Jesus, and it's stories about Jesus interacting with people. As a matter of fact, 90% of the content in the book of John is found nowhere else in the Bible. Because he had a chance after kind of the obituary was given to just eulogize Jesus, to tell everything, to tell everybody things about Jesus that maybe they wouldn't have known. And John chapter 4 is one of those stories. And John is filled with stories about Jesus hanging out with people. That's what the whole book is about, Jesus hanging out with people. In John chapter 1, it was Jesus and spending time with John the Baptist. In John chapter 2, it was Jesus at a wedding in Cana in Galilee where he turned water into wine, his first miracle. In John chapter 3, it was Jesus spending time with Nicodemus. In John chapter 4, where we are today, it's Jesus spending time with the Samaritan woman. As we get into John chapter 6, it's Jesus feeding the 5,000. John chapter 5 is Jesus healing a man 
by the pool of Bethsaida. John chapter 8 is Jesus spending time with a woman who's caught in adultery and who's brought before his feet, but he doesn't condemn her, he forgives her. John chapter 11 is Jesus uh, when he goes and he raised Lazarus from the dead. All the book of John is just stories about Jesus hanging out with people. John wanted us to know that Jesus liked to hang out with people. And in John chapter 4, we see an unexpected encounter where Jesus is hanging out with somebody, somebody that you and I wouldn't expect Jesus to hang out with, somebody who would not come to a church. We find Jesus hanging out with a woman, and this unexpected encounter with her changes her life forever. And I don't know what you intended on getting when you came to church this morning, but I want to tell you this. This church does not have the ability. Spending time at this church does not have the ability to change your life. Listening to me speak does not have the ability to change your life. But if you have a real encounter with Jesus, it'll change you forever. And that's what happened in John chapter 4. Somebody met Jesus and it changed him forever. But there's some things you need to know about encountering Jesus as you walk on your faith journey. No matter where you are spiritually, you need to understand these things. John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 6. And then we'll begin to talk about the kind of love that Jesus has for you and I. It says, the Pharisees... You might circle that word Pharisees if you have your Bible, and even if we've handed you one, go ahead and circle it in that one. That's fine. The Pharisees were religious people that nobody liked. Do any of you know a religious person that you don't like? That, that's who the Pharisees were. They were religious people. They were judgmental. They were hypocritical. They just, you know, nobody liked them. Nobody cared about them. They were, you know, these are the guys who stood on the street corner and told everyone they were going to hell. That's what a Pharisee is. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it wasn't even Jesus who baptized his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means it was about noon. They, they started days at 6 a.m. in that time. So anytime you read in the Bible, it was the X hour. Just start at 6 a.m. and add time, and you'll know what time it was. So it was about 12 noon. The first thing we learn about spending time with Jesus, the first thing we learn about you maybe having an encounter with Jesus today is this. Jesus doesn't care where you are in life right now. Jesus doesn't care where you are in your life right now. Maybe you're closer to God than you've ever been before. That's great, and, and I believe that you know, that God feels good about that. But maybe you're as far from God as you've ever been in life, or, or maybe you've never been close to God in life, or maybe you're, you've been through a situation in the last year or two that's been so difficult that you're having trouble even trusting if God is there, if He loves you, if you can love Him, if you want to love Him. But what you need to understand is right now, this morning, Jesus doesn't care where you are in life. He doesn't care where you are in life. He'd love to spend time with you. How do we know that? Because of where He went in John chapter 4. The Bible says he went to Samaria. And in order to understand the dynamics of John chapter 4, you have to understand the dynamics of Samaria and, and where it was. Jesus was Jewish. And Jesus lived in Israel. And there was a little pocket. Go ahead and bring up the map if you would. I want to show you this. There was a little pocket. Man, that map is so big, I almost feel like a weather person up here. If we had a, if we had a map of America, I could, I could tell you what's going on because I watched Tom last night on KCTV 5 and he said it's going to be really hot today. But here, here's a map of, of Israel right here. And you see Samaria located right in the middle of Israel. So Samaria was kind of tucked into Israel, but it was not a part of Israel. And Jewish people hated Samaritans. I mean, they hated 
Samaritans. Go ahead and leave the map up. You say, why would they hate the Samaritans so much? If you study the Old Testament at all, you know, there are a couple really bad dudes in the Old Testament. If we, if we said list the baddest people in the Bible, people with, you, you'd list people like Pharaoh and, the, you know, and Moses brought the Israelites out of the Exodus, Nebuchadnezzar because we know who he was in Babylon from Daniel. But the worst guys in the Old Testament were guys named Sennacherib and a guy named Shalmaneser, and they were from Assyria, modern-day Syria. They still hate Israel. Back then, they really hated Israel. And what happened is they conquered Israel. Israel had a civil war, and it split in half. And as you look on the map, really from, from Judea down, which you see Judea right there by the, by the Dead Sea, Judea down didn't get conquered. They remained Israel. But everything to the north got conquered, and they were taken over by modern-day Syria, or, or what was Assyria in the Bible. And what they did, the king of Assyria took all the Israelites, and those that he didn't kill, he... He loaded them all up on donkeys and wagons and he moved them all to Syria. And then he took his people and he moved them all to Israel with the thought that the Israelites would never go home and this would become a part of Assyria, a part of Syria forever. And when they got to the land of Israel, they started worshiping all their foreign gods and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. One of the gods they worshiped, they had to sacrifice their firstborn child in order to appease this god. I mean, just crazy cultic stuff. So when they got to Israel, they started doing all that stuff. But a really interesting story in 1 Kings chapter 17, lions started coming out of the woods and devouring him. So they called back up home to Assyria and said, man, something's wrong. There's lions here. They're killing everyone. So one of the Assyrians went to one of the priests of Israel who'd been moved and said, what's the deal? And they said, you're not worshiping God right. If you'll teach these people to worship God, the lions will go away and God will protect them. So they said, okay. So they sent the preachers of Israel back down to Israel They said, teach the Assyrians how to worship your God. So they came back down and they taught the Assyrians how to worship their God, but they didn't make them quit worshiping all the other gods. So they just kind of blended them all together. Now this would be like the United States of America being conquered by, by the most extreme group of Islamic terrorists that there is. And being deported, all of us shipped off to the Middle East. All of the, the radical terrorism shipped here. And, and this becomes the center. America becomes the center of radical Islam in the world. And then a few American preachers move back over and teach them how to basically be kind of Christian, kind of Muslim, throw a little Mormonism back in. They just they, they became like, like everything. We you know we we would be like like Christlamicisms, Mormonisms. I mean, just like everything. And finally, when some Israelites started coming back, they went to Samaria where it was and saw what was going on in Samaria. And they said, this is crazy. And the Samaritans said, just come join us. You can, you can be a part of this religion, that religion, it doesn't matter. And the religions that the Samaritans practiced, there were, there were cult priestesses or, or cult prostitutes, which means they took the young ladies in the town and made them serve at the temple. And in one of the religions, the men could come and sleep with all the young women in the town. There were cultic male prostitutes, which means they would take the young men and they had a different shrine for the young men and all the older women could come sleep with all the young men. Some of them were sacrificing babies. Some of them were praying to God. I mean, it was just crazy. And the Israelites said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And they literally separated from them forever. They didn't go there. As a matter of fact, if you look at the map, in Jesus' day and age, if you were, if you were going from Judea, and I've got a little pointer here just so I can show you what they would do. If you were going from Judea to Galilee, which that's what the Bible said. Jesus was in Judea. He left to go to Galilee. They would go to the corner of the Dead Sea. They would cross the Jordan River. 
and they would walk all the way up this way. Then they would get on a boat, go across the Sea of Galilee, and then go to Galilee. They would not walk through Samaria. They wouldn't go there. But Jesus did. Because Jesus said, I'm not afraid to go to places where people have been rejected. Samaria was, was spiritual hell 2,000 years ago in John chapter 4. It was a mess. But Jesus said, I'm okay going there because I, I can help. Now the truth is, there are some people in the world today who are living in spiritual hell. Maybe you're living in spiritual hell today. You say, some, some things have happened in my life. And maybe its consequence is totally out of control. Your marriage has ended and, and you fought and fought and fought, but you couldn't keep it from ending. You lost a loved one, either from sickness or tragedy. And there's nothing you could have done, you, there's nothing you could have done about it. You've been struggling with depression. You've been struggling with, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're involved in a second marriage and a former spouse is, is just making life really bad for your current family. Life is hard. And some of you walk in here and you say, you know, man, I wish Jesus could come fix my life because I feel like I'm, I'm literally living in a living hell. You know what Psalm 139 says? It's one of the most comforting pieces of Scripture in the Bible. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But in Psalm 139, there's a really interesting passage that David writes about God being willing to come to us even when we mess everything up. And there are some people in here, you've not messed anything up. But there are others in here, you've made some decisions that have messed some things up for you and people around you. Say, so what do I do when that happens? Psalm 139, we'll start, in verse, uh, we'll start in verse 7 and go through verse 12. David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, in the New King James Version, it says, if I make my bed in hell, even you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David says, if the choices in my life make my life a living hell, even then Jesus won't leave me. Even if I mess it all up and it's my fault, even then Jesus won't leave me. You know, I don't know where you are spiritually today. I don't know a lot of you to, to be able to understand where you are spiritually today. But I can say this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Wherever you are spiritually, Jesus would love to meet you right there. He doesn't care where you are. He doesn't care what you've been struggling with. He doesn't care what addiction you've been fighting. He doesn't care what horrible decisions you've made that have messed up your life forever. He doesn't care. He'll meet you right there and He can help. Let's keep reading in John chapter 4 if you're still there. So the first thing you need to know today is Jesus doesn't care where you are in life right now. Regardless of who you are, who you've been, what you've done, God loves you and Jesus can help you. John chapter 4, we'll start in verse 7, go through about verse 18. So it was noon, he sat down at the well and it says, A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The only reason they're telling you that is because they want you to know he was alone. Just him and this lady talking. He asked her for a drink of water. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You don't have anything to draw with. And this well is really deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up into eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go back and call your husband and then come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you said you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. You know, Jesus doesn't care where you are in life right now. He can help. The second thing you need to understand according to John chapter 4 is Jesus doesn't care what you've done in your life up to this point. You can start over. Jesus doesn't care what you've done in your life up to this date, July 10th, 2011. It's about five after 11. Jesus doesn't care what you've done up to this point in life. How do we know that? Because he was dealing with the town's biggest reject. Say, how do you know that? Because of what she was doing and what time she was doing it at. So what was she doing? She was coming to draw water. Now, coming to draw water was something that every woman did every day, many times twice a day, 2,000 years ago in the, Middle East, in the Middle East. The only thing is they would always either all come in the morning or they would all come in the evening right as the sun was going down so they didn't just bake in the Middle Eastern sun. It would be like going outside today at noon plus probably at 20 degrees. Nobody went in the middle of the day but her. You say, why did she go in the middle of the day? Because she was a reject. Because the town had rejected her. Because the women probably gossiped about her. You know, going to draw water was supposed to be like going shopping, something that women do together, usually. You know, most of you, if you're like me, husbands, you don't like to go shopping with your wife. You would rather send your wife off to go shopping with, with somebody else. This, this is what women did together. Today they shop, then they went to draw water. Yesterday, Danielle had to go try something on at the store. So she said, hey, drop me off. I have to try something on. You know how long it took her to try something on? 90 minutes to try something on. About 50 minutes through that, I began to wonder if she was a spy. I thought, you know, she can't be. Maybe she, maybe she this is her front, going shopping, and she's really going to bust up a terrorist ring somewhere because nobody takes 90 minutes to try something on. But my wife, whom I love, happy anniversary, 12 years. <laughs> awesome, right? But no, nobody wants to go shopping by themselves. Nobody wants to have to go shopping at midnight. Because you don't want to be seen in public. But this woman had to go to the well in the middle of the day when no one could see her because she was a reject. Jesus very politely said probably what everyone thought about her. He asked her a simple question. Hey, go, go get your husband. And she gave a really nice little slip answer. Oh, I'm not married. And they said, you know what? You're right. You're not married. You have been married five times. And the guy you're living with now is not your husband. But you were sort of honest. I get that. And she said to him, you know what, I, I can tell you know me. I can tell you really know me for who I am. So what's up? You know, the truth of the matter is God knows you for who you are. He knows you for who you've been. And he doesn't care what you've done in your life up to this point. He can make it right. For the Samaritan woman, obviously, she, she'd had some troubles with marriage and probably sexual purity and everything that goes along with that. But that didn't scare Jesus away. He didn't even flinch knowing that. 
And you know, the things that Jesus knows about you and the things he knows about me, I don't want to say they're not big deals to him, but he, he can help fix those. In the midst of this situation, he gave this woman hope. He basically, when he said, what if I could help you never have to come here all by yourself again, ashamed, embarrassed in the middle of the day, and draw water? He basically said, what if I could help your life be better? And she said, I'm listening. You know, today Jesus offers you the opportunity for your life to be better. And I, and I hope you're listening. You know, there's a, a song on the radio, a Christian song. I, I don't know the name of the song. I don't even know who sings the song. But it starts out, the, the song starts out, the guy says, I won't deny the worst you can say about me. And I heard that and I thought, man, that is good. I won't deny the worst things you can say about me. I probably did. Because none of us are great perfect people. You know, I had one of the greatest honors of my life a few years ago. I grew up in southern Ohio, lived in southern Ohio all my life, a very small country farming town in southern Ohio. Went to college in Virginia, been in Kansas City since. And the church that I went to as a teenager invited me back to speak at a men's deal. It's one of the first and really only times I've been invited back to my hometown to speak. And I was so nervous going back there because I did not live the way that I was supposed to live when I was in high school and, and I'm sure some of you are the same way. You have, you have things you regret about the way you lived your life when you were in high school. But they invited me back to speak. And I thought, this is going to be unbelievable. And I went and I spoke and it just went awesome. But after, after I got done speaking, I had one of the most humbling experiences of my life because I went down to talk to people and I was shaking hands with a few people who said, oh, that's great, that's great, that's great. And then I got to one of my best friends in high school. And his first comment was, hey, remember the time the cops were chasing us for stealing all those signs? Yeah, 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 I do. I don't steal signs anymore for those of you in law enforcement. We have some of you in here. I don't do that anymore. But he didn't hear any of my sermons. He just remembered all the trouble we got into. I had a guy approach me, I kid you not. said, hey, remember when you were dating my daughters? Plural, because I did not date them at the same time, but I had dated both of his daughters at one point in high school. Remember when you dated my daughters? And he was saying, man, you weren't a preacher living for God back then. That's what he was saying. And I was so embarrassed. I told Danielle, I went to try to minister. And all that happened is I was reminded of who I was and how far I was from God when I was in high school. And it was embarrassing. It was humiliating. And I thought, you know, I can't go back. I can't preach to these people because they all know the real me. You know, and, I, and my preaching would be, that's why Jesus said a, a prophet's really usually without honor in his hometown. Because, you know, once somebody really knows who you used to be, they have a hard time listening to you spiritually. And, and it was an embarrassing thing for me. But at some point in my life, Jesus said, you know, I don't care what you've done up until now, Christian, I can use you. As a matter of fact, when God called me into ministry at Liberty, I was at the low point of my life spiritually. And probably some of you can remember back to the, the, like the very lowest point in your life spiritually. Or maybe you can say I was at the high point of, of really being away from God. I was on my first summer on my own. A few friends and I had rented a house in college. I was away from mom and dad. College was out for the summer. We had this house, and we just, like, went crazy. I mean, like 19, 20, 21-year-old guys do. I mean, I was as far from God as I had ever been. I had had a bad breakup with a girl a few months before that, and I wasn't struggling in my faith, but I was kind of wrestling with God. I just I wasn't happy, and I was enjoying having all the fun that I was having. And right in the midst of that, right in the midst of that, I had kind of an encounter with Jesus at a, at a little youth camp that was going on. And God said, I can use you. And I remember thinking, but I am so far from where I need to be. 
And I remember just feeling in my heart, Jesus saying, that's okay. I can fix that and I can use you. And maybe you're here today and you're as far from God as you've ever been. What you need to know from John chapter 4 is that regardless of what you've done, everything can begin. And we'll begin brand new today if you give God a chance and you have an encounter, not with our church. Don't have an encounter with me, but you have a real encounter with Jesus. And then finally, keep going through John chapter 4. It only gets better from here. Jesus doesn't care where you've been in life. Jesus doesn't care what you've done in life. We start in verse 19, and we, we kind of read, as Paul Harvey would say, the, the rest of the story. So Jesus had just said, I know everything you've ever done. And she said in verse 19, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, that, that means Savior. She said, I know a Savior is coming. I know someone out there can help me. When he comes, he'll explain everything. I know somebody out there can help me. She said, I just don't know. I just don't know who he is or when he's coming. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But nobody asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who just told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Savior? So they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't, don't you say four months more and then the harvest? Well, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. They're right for the harvest right now. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we're no longer believed just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Here's a few things you need to understand about Jesus. And I've already told you two of them. You have to know, no matter where you are in life, Jesus loves you. You have to know, no matter what you've done in life, Jesus loves you. And you have to understand, no matter how long it takes for Jesus to change your life for the better, He loves you and He'll wait. No matter where you are right now, no matter what you've done up to this point, no matter how long it's taken for God to get your attention, Jesus wants to and can change your life for the better. That's really interesting because we get into the end of John chapter 4 here. And we see his disciples saying, we've got to get out of here. His disciples come back, here's Jesus, 
He's in Samaria. He's not supposed to be there. Jews don't go to Samaria. So they have strike one against him that they're even in Samaria. And they're trying to smuggle him out before he loses all spiritual credibility. And now they see him talking with a woman alone, which is like a big strike too. I mean, Jesus is about to lose his entire ministry. And as soon as she sneaks away, they basically said, if you had anything to eat, they were saying to him, we need to eat and get out of here. We need to get out of this place. This is not where we belong. Have you had anything to eat? Can we just get lunch and go? And Jesus said, you know what? Guys, it's not on your timetable. And the Bible says he didn't stay for lunch. He didn't just stay for dinner. He stayed two days until everyone in the town who needed him had had a chance to encounter him and interact with him. And many of them had their lives changed forever. Now, I don't know how long it's been since you've sat down and talked to Jesus. And maybe you think your time is out. Well, you know, if I'd have, if I'd have committed my life in high school. Well, if I'd have committed my life in college. Well, if I'd have committed my life before I blew up my first marriage. Well, if I'd have committed my life before this or that. And now it's just too late. Listen, with Jesus, it's never too late. He stayed as long as they needed him to stay. And only when they were ready for him to go, did he get up and go. You know, Jesus can rescue you today in a powerful, powerful way. Jesus can rescue you today. You know, this week, two stories have been in the news that had radically different endings. And you, you might remember both of these stories. One of them was, was a girl by the name of J.C. Dugard who was kidnapped by a man, held in captivity for 18 years. And after 18 years, she was rescued. And she's just now written a book, and her story has, has been told in People magazine. And, and the book is something that, I mean, it's just it's an unbelievable read, the excerpts that I've read from that book. The other is the story of little Kaylee Anthony, which has been in the news for the past few months, a little two-year-old girl that somehow died, somehow was placed in the woods. And you know her, her mother got off scot-free from really doing anything wrong according to the court systems and how they work. But we see a picture this week of someone who was rescued and someone who wasn't. And, man, they're drastically different stories. One is celebrated and one is, I mean, hotly debated because justice wasn't served. And the truth of the, of the matter today is, is all of us, all of us, were born into spiritual captivity. And some of us have been there for a long time, 18 years. You know, when, when, when uh, J.C. Dugard finally went to the police station, you know she spent hours with the police, secured by herself in a police station, before she told him who she was? Because she thought it was too late. It had been 18 years. No one will believe me. My mom won't love me. Here she is. She was kidnapped at 11. And she's sitting in a police station. And all by herself in a police station. They had to force it out of her. She couldn't even say it. They passed her a piece of paper. And she wrote her name on a piece of paper. Because she just thought it was too late to be rescued. Wrote her name. This is who I really am. And within hours they put it all together. Some of, some of you are, are in her position. You'd love to be rescued. You want to be rescued. You, you desire to have your life changed for the better, to, to make a difference, to, to have a better life than you have right now, to have eternal life one day. You would love for that to happen, but you don't think that's for you. It's just been too long. It's been too hard. And you, you don't even feel like you can ask God for that. But you can. You can. Even if you have to whisper the prayer, you can. You can be rescued. And unfortunately, many of us know 
a lot of people like little Caleb. It's too late. And they can't be rescued. And time passed and somehow things got away and somebody went into eternity without really having the opportunity to have their life changed forever for the better. And the message you need to hear today and the message our church wants to send to this community is that God loves people. And Jesus died for people. And He offers hope to people. And He can change people. It's just whether or not they want it. Whether or not they want to accept it. You know, this week I had to go to the doctor for a a checkup deal. And when I went into the doctor, I went in one door. I, I parked, and it was a place that had two doors to go into. And I walked in one door that was an automatic door. And, you know, when I stepped on a little mat, the doors opened. And I walked in, went in the elevator, went up to the doctor, and I came out. And I came out and went out the other side, and I didn't even realize it. And I got to the door, and I was text messaging on my phone, and I wasn't paying attention. And I got to the door, and I realized, I'm standing on the little mat, and I'm texting. And it took me 30 seconds to realize that the door hadn't opened yet. Because this section of doors wasn't an automatic door. And a couple people had passed me. Just standing there texting, and they're coming in and out. And I realized, oh, I'm actually, I'm actually going to have to open this one by myself. You know, that was a spiritual picture for a lot of people in this room. You are literally standing on the brink of spiritual change in your life. But you have to open the door. You have to make a conscious decision to kind of put everything in life aside and step through the door of new spiritual life. Step through the door of renewed spiritual life. Step through the door of a recommitment to get closer to God, to bring your family closer to God, to, to see your, your life and your family's life change for the better. You can stand on the mat all day long with the door right in front of you and never walk through it. And a lot of people do. They talk about, one day I'm going to do this and one day I'm going to do that and I know that I need to get my life right with God and I believe in God, but you know, one day, one day, one day, one day. And they live their life one step away from opening the door of eternity, opening the door of forgiveness, opening the door of hope, and what I want to challenge you to do today is to step through the door because you can. And if you don't today, you can tomorrow and you can next week. And every day of your life, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've waited, every day of your life you can start over, start again, and see God do some unbelievable things in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray with everyone today. If you just bow your heads, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And as we just get ready to close in prayer, and Phil, I'm going to ask you to just come and play quietly while we pray. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And I just have to wonder in this room today, who is in here who needs to start over? Who is in here who, who maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, I am so far from God, I can't ever start over. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, if everyone knew what I've done, I could never start over. Or maybe you're thinking, I waited too long. Man, I wish in middle school or high school or in college, in my first marriage, I'd, I'd have got things right spiritually, but I didn't. And now it's just too late. Listen, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how long it's been, today you can take a step through the door and begin life again spiritually. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the most important step you can ever take in life is this first step of your spiritual journey. It's called becoming a Christian. It's when you realize that you don't have a real relationship with God and while maybe your life doesn't deserve it, it's offered to you and you'd like it. It's life change for the better. 
Let me give you some water you don't have to come get every day. I'd love to see life change for the better. How does that happen? It's called beginning a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you're in this room today and you've never become a Christian, you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins, you've never made a decision to begin to live a life with God, then I want to pray with you today so that that can happen. And you don't have to pray a prayer out loud. And I'm not going to ask you to stand up. And I won't ask you to come forward. This is between you and God. You can act like you're the only two in the room. Just like the woman at the well. Just two people hanging out talking. God is real. And He loves you. And He wants to change your life for the better. And He wants to give you eternal life one day. And all you have to do is accept that. So if you're in the room and you've never done that. And you desire to. God's speaking to your heart. Start over then just pray this prayer after me. Don't pray it out loud, but just pray it in your heart. Pray this prayer after me. Dear God, I need to start over. You know where I am in life, God. You know what I've done in life. And you know how long it's been since I even considered doing anything spiritual. But today, I'm ready to start my spiritual journey. Today, God, I ask you to forgive me for the sins of my past and I ask you to change my life for the better. Come into my heart, God. Change my life today and then give me eternal life one day when I die. I want to go to heaven when I die and I want to try to live for you the rest of my life. Save me today. Change me today. Give me eternal life. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, please nobody looking around just out of respect for the people in this room. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up just so I could know? Christian, I just prayed that prayer to become a Christian. Yes. Just slip your hand up. Christian, I just prayed to become a Christian. Yes. Now God, I pray for those that today began their spiritual journey because it's going to be the most awesome thing they've ever done. And they won't be perfect. And, and they won't automatically become a Pharisee that nobody can stand. But, Lord, their life is going to be changed for the better. And, and things will begin to be different as they walk with you. But I want to turn my focus now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed for people in the room like I was in college. I was a Christian. I knew my sins had been forgiven. I knew if I died I was going to go to heaven. But I also knew I was far from God. I knew I wasn't living for God. I knew I wasn't close to God. And I knew that I needed, I needed to make that happen. So if you're a Christian in the room today, and you want to kind of use today to start over, rededicate your life, and get going again, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer after me, right where you are. Again, not out loud, but just in your heart. You're ready to rededicate and begin again. Pray this prayer. Dear God, I'm ready to get started again. I recommit my life to you. Help me to change. Help me to be a better Christian. Help me to live for you. Now God, I pray for those who just prayed that prayer. That they'll leave this place, not because they've been to church, not because of what anything that I've said, but because they had an encounter with you. I pray that they leave different. And God, we give it all to you because you're the only one who knows hearts and minds. You're the only one who can create real life change. You're the only one who can give eternal life. So we give it all to you. We pray it all in your son's name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together.
Amen. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do right before we get ready to take our offering and give you a few announcements. Everyone, when you walk in...